Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas. And it's a great privilege to be able to reach out to my congregation on this Wednesday and also to the, the extended family of the saints, both in our beautiful country, the United States, and around the world. We greet you in our common uh, calling uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a privilege to be able to serve together with all of you. Today, I want to continue with something that was launched in a teaching last Wednesday. And uh, I touched on it again this past Sunday, and now here we are again on Wednesday. This topic, which we're going to be discussing, is going to be uh, detailed in a book that I've just begun to write. And I don't intend to keep uh, going passage after passage with this. It's not a series. Uh, there are a lot of other things that the Father is revealing, and we'll follow that. But I did feel very strongly that we needed to take a look at the passages that we're going to be focusing on today. Now, in the old-timey church, the one I grew up in, you had Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. That was it. Prayer and Bible study. It wasn't Wednesday night entertainment time. It became family night, which was a great thing because that's when the children's ministries could go on and they could really focus on uh, additional measures of training our young people. But... Um, Traditionally, this is Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. Uh, in the near future, we're going to be uh, emerging from our year-long uh, measure of uh, sequestering. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be instituting various measures of five-fold prayer and smaller groups prayer with subsequent measures of interpretation concerning what the Spirit would say during those prayer times. And uh, we're going to continue to study the Scripture. And I, I love that format. So, uh, and I believe that it's what God is wanting from us. And I, I said many, many years ago, and I, I still hold true to this, that every time you come together as saints... You need to, when you're, when you're going to be looking at the Word of God, you need to come away with something you never understood before. Because God's Word is alive. And there should be some continuing measure of revelation from the Word that comes to us. And I, I am amazed that after... 20 plus years of following this regimen, it has remained a constant for us as saints. I want to continue to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the ecclesia. 
what the Spirit says. Not what the Spirit has said, necessarily, even though we base everything on, on uh, aligning. You know, the Spirit's not going to contradicting, not going to contradict itself, but we base everything that we sense the Spirit is saying on, on the Word of God. And it's amazing how it lines up. But just in, in my uh, upbringing, in a Pentecostal church, and then going to what was at that time the signature training college and seminary uh, of that movement, we were pretty much told that we had it all together. We were all the gospel. And that this, the canon was closed, and I do believe that. The canon of scriptures is closed. However, that canon is alive, and it should be breathing <clears throat> new insights that are aligned with the full counsel of the Word of God. And the challenge that we had when I was in that time of uh, growing and, and being educated was that we had somewhat of a closed shop. You know, we, we knew what we knew. And anything that varied from that, we, we just had to boot it out. We, we had to resist it. And that resistance came, first of all, from a, from a pure standpoint, because we didn't want to have heresy. We didn't want to have uh, a misapplication a mis, uh, of, the, of the word. And, and, and we didn't want anything taking us off of what our, our divinely uh, inspired calling was. I agree with that. The problem is that it's a real short hop from that stance to being pharisaical, to where any new thing is immediately said, we've never done it that way before. And there are people within movements religious movements who really, I say this fairly, and I say this of, of commentators, because you read some commentaries, and you know right off that, that people don't believe <laughs> the scriptures that, that they're supposed to be explaining, uh, and they, they admit to it. Uh, but sometimes there are people who are in power or in leadership roles who are more Sadduceic than, than anything else. They don't believe that God does new things today. And so they immediately try to shut it down because, first of all, it threatens. If God starts to do a new thing and you don't believe he's doing it, or if God starts to do a new thing and you're not willing to pay the price to participate in it, then, you know, your your power base is going to be threatened and you may... You may be moved off of a, of a point of comfort that you've come to enjoy. So there is a, th then there's also people who, who just kind of live on the fringe. And by that, I mean, they're always reaching for things that God may not be wanting them in. And any new thing, they're like the, the Greeks on Mars Hill. We want to hear every new thing that's coming along. That can be dangerous. That, that really can be dangerous. And 
Of course, then people would say, oh, see, they would cast us as being Sadduceic, like the, the group that I just mentioned. Or they would say, oh, you're, you're pretentious, or, you know, you're, you're shutting yourself off from the Spirit of God. No, it's not. To, to, to stand for the truth of the Word and to, to be sincere and to be earnest about wanting only what God wants is where we all should be. And so I know that in the middle, let your moderation be known to all people, is where God wants us on this. He wants us to recognize that scripturally, the way God speaks about understanding in his word and the way God presents regulations concerning how to interpret revelation in his word is really where we need to be. So, for instance, if we are to be an ecclesia, a governmental body that God calls out for his tasks, if we're to hear what the Spirit is saying to us, how do you do that? And, and if, you, if you are like the Apostle Paul, who was writing from a, not only a theological background, but from an expert in the, the Old Testament scriptures standpoint, and he's bringing fresh revelation from those scriptures, and he writes to the church, I'm saying these things to you, and those of you who are pneumaticos, spiritual pneumaticos, those of you who are desirous of being established in the deep things of the Spirit of God, and those of you who have given yourself to a pursuit, a prophetic pursuit of what God is wanting the church to, to press forward into, you be the ones who judge whether what I'm saying is true. And the challenge is, is that we don't have those people today. Or, or we should, and, and God is trying to resurrect that. But what we had was those that thought they knew everything, and if any new thing came in, they would immediately shut it down. There was no judging. I mean, it's like, when we were called into question for things that we were doing, which are absolutely scriptural, the, the, the brethren would say, I can't wrap my hands around it. I can't. Well, you got to take your hands off it. You got to look at the scripture and say, well, yes, it does say this. And yes, this is a scholastic pursuit defining this. And yes, we can't. It's like Gamaliel and his counsel. You have to let God be God. And if this is of God, it's going to stand. And if it's not, it'll fall. But if you just stand against everything just because it's new, you're, you're going to be an obstacle to God and you're going to end up fighting against God. Now, again, I'm, I'm arguing for a, a place of, of um, understanding here. Uh, I've seen in the Christian world and you have too. Nonsense that just comes flooding in in the guise of spiritual revelation. And Christians are sheep. They'll just ba-ba and follow everything. And 
then it just drifts away and there's no lasting merit. And you can look at some of those things without being critical through a nodicos eye and say, well, there's a couple of problems with this new thing and here's the scripture that says what it is. You can't say this if the word of God says this. You can't say this if the scripture categorically does not allow for that. And you know, there's very little of that. And you, you know, in any move of God, you're going to have sincere people who are paying the price to welcome that. And then you'll have those that are wanting to, to keep those fires legitimately burning. But as soon as it starts moving, you're going to have a lot of people that are drawn to the fire. And some are, some are fire seekers. We got bad illustrations in the scriptures of those who ran around seeking for fire. And that can destroy a movement. And I remember early on when we were trying to talk about the manifestations and the, the glorious things that God was doing in the initial stages of his birthing, the calling of the saints, and we would say to people that we're not just interested in manifestations. We want to become what God has brought these manifestations to awaken. And there were some saying, oh, you know, that's work. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Or I don't want to be accountable. People literally said that to me. Or, you know, I, 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 I want to pray and I want to feel the, the presence of the Lord and I want to be moved and swayed by this and that. And I want to make sure that all of those that are responsible for this can see how spiritual I am. And that's what they said. But I, I don't want to interpret anything. I don't want to have to study. It's too hard. That's, that's a road to heresy. And so we need to be a mature people who are continually doing our best to commune with God, become students of the word, but then let God be God. And this is how the Spirit speaks to the church. Now, we talked about over the past week what the Bible in the New Testament, the, the primary measure for spiritual understanding in the New Testament was this word phroneo, which stems from a word, uh, a root word friend, and in the Greek that meant the, the place in the core of your being, your, your diaphragm, where you breathe. And even the medical community embraces that term and speaks of the nerves that flow out of the spinal column that uh, control breathing. They use that term. So, and, and really what that says in the New Testament, in a term that they all knew, was that in order for us to be moving in understanding, divine understanding, we need to keep ourselves in a position where we are sensitive to the Spirit, where we are in commune with God, Spirit, where, where the Spirit is guiding us and leading us into truth. And we are hearing what the breath is saying. And we are then studying to show ourselves approved that we might learn why is the Spirit saying this to us? And with this understanding, how does that open up the Word of God so that this living Word can say something that is wonderful that we've never seen before? 
that then becomes the 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 continuing addition to our spiritual acumen and that's our understanding the challenge is that the church has come to a point where they think they understand everything and they take this term that linguistically means and i dare anybody to look at this because it's there well i've never seen it before nobody's ever preached that before it can't be a god it's there, very clearly there. And they, they say, okay, this is all just head knowledge now. This is head learning. That's our understanding. We've got it all. Well, no, you don't. Because what comes to your head should be from the Scripture and through the Spirit. If you just leave it to the natural mind, that's enmity with the things of the Spirit. And it'll pretty soon shut you down. When something stops breathing, it dies. And so we can't have understanding without the continual respect and desire for the revelation of the Spirit. And then that infuses a continual line-upon-line line understanding into our mind. And that's what the understanding of the church should be and that's why Jesus kept saying that and and he you know he if you have an ear where where is our spiritual ear if he that hath an ear it doesn't say he that has ears it says he that hath an ear and I would dare say that our ear is not the third eye but it's that base where the Old Testament speaks of as the ma'ah, the bowels, as it were, or this core place, your innermost being, the place out of which rivers of living water are supposed to flow. That's the deposit of the Spirit. That's what God's Word says when you pray in unknown tongues, diversities of tongues, your, your Spirit prays. And that then generates partnership with God. It speaks the mysteries of God. And that understanding, that interpretation that you come away from contributes to this measure of revelation, which then should fill your understanding. But if you relegate the phroneo, the understanding, to simply head learning or the bastion of all that has gone on before, pretty soon you're going to be dead you're truly going to be the dead in Christ. And, and you're going to be operating on centuries-old revelation. Now, you build on that. I'm not saying you jettison revelation. You may have, you probably will have to jettison some traditions because a lot of those were set in motion to deal with uh, temporal issues. Some of those traditions worked, but then it's kind of like, you know, I'm sure that there was a contingent that after Jew, the Jews defeated Jericho, <clears throat> that everybody thought from here on, when we go to a city, this is the way we do it. We got a number of days of marching around it in silence, and then we blow the horns, the walls fall down, here we go. That's pretty good tradition. And that's, uh, that takes away from the head-on Highland Rush. So, but 
That only happened one time. And so often our traditions become um, graveyards of a former visitation. And we cannot allow for that. We can't, we must not allow for that. So, phroneo, which really is, now there are other Greek words that talk about just the natural understanding. Nous, N-O-U-S, is one of them. Speaks about how the mind processes and our acumen there. But phroneo it literally means something that has been engendered by the breath of the Spirit to us in these uh, mortal bodies and then the revelation of that Spirit or breath of God becomes the next segment of our understanding. It's all aligned with Scripture. But it is, there's no end to it. The Word of God is eternal. It is alive. It will continue to bring forth exactly what we need to know. Yes, we need to study to show ourselves approved to work but needing not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the Word of truth or the Word of those things that have not been seen before that are now being revealed. So we have to, we have to be that kind of person. And, um, you know, that's what kind of damned the Pentecostal movement from the start and why so many sincere, born-again believers stood against the move of the Spirit. Um, and they said it was the last belch of hell and, you know, just ridiculed the outpouring of the Spirit. I, I, think, I think that that is a danger in in so many ways. I remember when there was a, a great visitation of the spirit in the uh, in the 90s um, in in Florida in a Pentecostal church and there were thousands in that movement and, and around the world and us being included in them who were touched and transformed. But there were significant districts and significant numbers of people in leadership who stood against that movement. And they, they even brought up um, at their national council meetings resolutions to, to, uh, to discredit the move of God. So you're always going to face that kind of thing. You're going to have to stay in touch with the Lord and study the Word and be willing, lest you end up on the wrong end of that battle. So, um, and, and it is a battle. So let's get to some of these scriptures that the Lord's highlighted today. Uh, let's look at um, Romans 15, verses 4 through 6. And phroneo, which is what we've been talking about, is a verb, which means it's active. And I, I'm so glad that phroneo was not a noun, because the problem with a noun is that it's kind of stationary. 
verb is active. Do they still teach that in schools today, or is that deemed some kind of privilege and we don't study it anymore? A verb is active. And to do and to teach so many of the things that God does, the root of them in scriptures are verbs because they are part of his moving. And so when you talk about the understanding, the phroneo, you have to be aware that it is moving. It's not a dead end. It's verb and it, and it is alive. So, here we are in Romans 15, verses 4 through 6. Let's just read this, and we'll talk through it. You have an outline there. Not really an outline. I just posted these scriptures for you so that you can have a worksheet. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Now, what do you think Paul was talking about, those things were written? Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. What do you think? Well, of course, it was the written scriptures that were recognized and approved by those that were uh, the purest of the Jewish faith. He wasn't talking about every script and scroll that came down out of the woodwork. You know, Israel was always surrounded by ites and demons, and um, they were carried away into captivity and they, they had all kinds of other uh, mystical insights and magicians, uh, tricks that were around them. But Paul stuck to the scripture and he said, whatever was written aforetime was written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one accord and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about, well, let's just say three things here. Number one, you have this recurring combination, patience and comfort, Patience and consolation, those are the same terms. Hupomone and periclesis. Now, periclesis is translated as consolation and as comfort, but it's the same Greek word. Well, according to the scriptures, we have to remain patient and we need to allow ourselves to continue to come alongside the process of revelation. That's what paraclesis is. It's not old-timey comfort where you just feel warm and cuddly on a cold day. It's get over here and get in line with what you're supposed to be. Called alongside. As I was a kid, we used to always hear that the comforter was kind of like a heavenly AAA auto service. And we were in trouble. We'd call God alongside. It was, on, it was kind of like a spiritual 911. Well, who's doing the calling? The Spirit is calling us. Paraclesis. Get over here and fulfill 
what God has created you to be, where God's created you to be it, and in the timing. So we have patience and paraclesis. Hupomone, you're staying put. You're staying where God has established you, where he's called you to abide. You stay under that calling. That's what hupomeno means. And I'm sorry for all of you who get warm and, and uh, passionate in your thinking about what it means to abide. Meno means you find your place, you stand there with the Lord. It can be delightful, but it can also be a point of battle. It's, to me, it's the, the New Testament version of Peretz. You stand in that gap, and you remain there. You remain committed to it. Don't be like a hireling that when things get rough, you run away. So hupomeno, patience, is so important in the Scripture. It's the first sign of the apostolic calling, and it is also the first sign of what you are called to be, wherever it is. Never understood people that can say, God has made me to be this. And then five years later, God changes his mind. And now you're totally not that. Well, you say, Pastor Ron, didn't the Apostle Paul change? Did he? His actions changed. But I see him doing the same things that iniquity had twisted. He was studying the Scripture. He was teaching and arguing the Scripture. He was in the synagogues and in any place debating the Word of God. He was passionate about that. This is Paul. Now, when he was Saul, he did those same things, but for nefarious purposes in the name of religion. So did Paul really change? Or did he become what he was trying to be all along? What God had called him to be from the foundation of the world? You see, that's the privilege of repentance, metanoia, to turn from things that you don't have any business doing and to get into alignment with what you were put on this earth to do. So, yeah, technically, in the verbiage, Paul changed. He changed his behaviors, but he didn't change who he was. He was born again. He then just became what his iniquities had perverted, and he came alive to why God gave him those giftings to begin with. So, you stand there, and you do and you be what God has created you to be. So, you have the scriptures here as the root and the basis that we are drawn to and that we are encouraged by. And, but then, we have to be like-minded, froneo. So many times, there are a number of times in the New Testament where Paul uses this term, <clears throat> and he reminds the church that this is the way they all ought to be. And they all ought to be desiring what the Spirit is saying, and they all ought to be in one accord, and that word, their accord, means to be unified, and with one mouth, partnering together with what God has called us to be in representing His glory. 
through the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the phroneo is a unifying force, or should be. And we should all be like-minded, of one mind with this. And again, there are a number of occasions in the New Testament, you can look them up easily, where the Apostle Paul and the other, there are, there are a number of instances where the church is admonished to get in line with this process and to be in one accord together. Now, sometimes we're criticized, and I think wrongfully, so of course I think wrongfully so, because I say personally, I don't listen to a lot of other teaching. Now, I'm studying every day, studying the Word. I study current events. I hear about other issues that have risen up in uh, uh, in the, the teachings of various movements. And I hear about them because they're brought to my attention with people inquiring, is this really right? Is this of God? And so I study those things and I say, well, yeah, this, this is legitimate. We need to really see what God's doing here. Or, this is not scriptural. This is not scriptural. This is not scriptural. Why are you messing with that? Well, everybody else is. This is mystical. This is in some extra-biblical thing. And this is doctrines of demons. Why are you messing with that? So, I'm not saying that we can't receive insights. What I'm saying is that I need to be faithful to do what I'm supposed to do. But then people extrapolate off that and they say, Pastor Ron doesn't want us listening to anybody else. No, what Pastor Ron really advocates is you be what God has called you to be and don't be blown about by every wind of doctrine. That's what Pastor Ron says. Some people, it's kind of like some flighty boy or girl that one day's in love with this person and two days later somebody winks at him and they're in love with them and then this next week they're in love with this one and pretty soon they you know they're um, they don't know who they are they, they can't settle on anything and I think a lot of Christians are that way and what I think it is it's a perversion of this froneo they have a hunger to have revelation they're just not disciplined enough in patience and in staying in harmony with the scripture to let God reveal things and then when he reveals it, do it. See, that's that's the one thing uh, that you see happen a lot. This is not this is the work of the ministry. This is stand therefore, and when you've done everything to stand, you it doesn't say chase after something else, it says stand. So I believe that God's Spirit is right here in this passage in Romans 15 saying that however this thing works, however this phroneo works, you all need to be in alignment with it, but it is based on the Scriptures. The Scriptures. And you need to stay patiently in that point of assignment and you need to keep going after the Scripture. The paraclesis of the Scripture. Now, this isn't... Now, yes, the Spirit 
has inspired the, the scripture. The, the spirit speaks through the word. But this isn't, this is specifically saying that we need to stay in alignment with the scriptures. That's important. So let's move on to the only noun that stems off of phroneo. And it's only used four times, all in the book of Romans. Twice in a good way, twice regarding carnal things. So Romans 8, 5 through 6. For they that are after the flesh, phroneo, or fro, uh, phronema, that's the noun of phroneo, phronema, the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded, phronema, is death. But to be spiritually minded, phronema, is life and peace. Because the carnal phronema is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. What is he talking about here? Well, we know that there are a lot of ways that our mind is in enmity with this process of letting the Spirit control. And we recognize that some people are, are willing to say that they're operating on the things of the Spirit when basically they're operating on carnal perceptions or the doctrines of devils or things of this world. And here Paul says that if you go that route, it's death. But if you are spiritually minded, you are Zoe, you're creating life and you're functioning in that fountain of that and, and peace. So which do you want to be? creative and moving in harmony with the assignment and the battle of the Lord? Or do you want to accept a carnal, fleshly phronema? That is happening. And, and it, it's, it's, not, it's not good. It, it's, it's really not good. A good thing. So, further on in Romans 8, and we're going to be in Romans 8. I didn't list this scripture, um, but verses 22 through 25 says this of Romans 8. We know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. Not only they, but our, ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen with a natural eye is not hope. What a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? For if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience Wait for it. We need to talk about this a little bit before we go to the passage that is listed on your sheet there for our next discussion. 
We who have the first fruits of the Spirit are the ones that are groaning. We who say we want to be a first fruits people and we want to partner with you and submit ourselves that we might be pioneers of the things you're wanting to bring forth. Paul says that when we do that, we join with creation in groaning. Now, it's very interesting that when you study this word, I spent a considerable amount of time, even this morning, looking at the roots of this, this word, um, which is from Sthenos. And it, in, in the ancient Greek world, you realize that this word was used to describe the thunder in the sky, and that it then communicated that sometimes when we're wanting something to be birthed, when we're desiring for something and we're, we're there in the middle of it, to, we're travailing for something that's not there as part of hope, which is that seed of faith that's born in the heart of Elohim. And we want to see this come about. That groaning communicates. It's, it's a language that we're going to read. Cannot be written in, um, in, in words. And I, I like what one of, the, uh, one of the definitions I read. It's sighs, S-I-G-H-S, too deep for words. I know I've felt this before. I know many of you have too. And, and I remember talking on a number of occasions how I wondered how creation groans. And then I, I saw that this, this word was used by the writings of Homer and, and he sang with a guy named Jethro in ancient Greece. Uh, Homer and so many of the ancient Greek writers would use this to talk about the thundering in the sky. They, of course, equated it to the divine speaking in some ways. And we do know that thunders are voices, thunders. It's that place, the secret place of thunder. There is something very real about us being contrite, being caught up to that as intercessors, and God empowering us. And so, there, in the midst of that, when you're, when you're desiring to travail, what not, no, when, when you're called upon to travail, to birth something, a first fruits, that's when this groaning comes into play. And I just think that it is an additional insight that we've lived, but uh, it, it sure explains why we've said so many times that when, so often when you can hear the thunder in the sky, it resonates not just uh, through vibrations or sonic waves, but there's something that resonates in your breastplate because it's the same language. Creation is calling for a, uh, a change which is what Voices, Thunders, Lightnings, Earthquake is. We've talked about how thunderstorms are nature's way of wanting to restore 
uh, an atmospheric condition that is, it is normative. We've taught on this on a number of occasions. But here we have this link that these groanings um, in creation and uh, we have groanings which are, um, which are birthed by hope, which are travail. And Paul says that we who have, verse 23, not only does creation do this, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. How do you have the first fruits of the Spirit? Again, first fruits is an operative term. It's a birthing of something ahead of time where you give your best to God and you expect for whatever new thing he's wanting to do, you can partner with him in whatever way in welcoming that. So those who are in that ministry, you know, in the past, we would say, oh, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We speak in tongues like they did at the beginning. Is, and that was the Feast of First Fruits. That was Pentecost, the Feast of First Fruits. But that was God beginning a new thing, pouring out something that was an initiation. That wasn't the end all be all. That was an equipping of the ecclesia for the work that is yet to be done. So first fruits is an operative term. And if, if we do as we have done in the past and say, well, bless God, that just means we're speaking in tongues like they did at the beginning. Them, them folks down the street, they don't believe in that. God help them. They're the dead in Christ. They're going to rise first. Ho, 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 ho. But we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Well, that's great. We need to continue to be first fruits people. And that is when God's wanting to do something, we give our very best of the best to partner with him in bringing that about. So here's Paul saying, creation is groaning, thundering as it were, travailing in pain. That's birthing language. Until this very day. And not only creation, but those of us who are partnering as first fruits with the Spirit even we groan within ourselves. When, what are we doing? Waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of the body. No, this can be confusing. We're already adopted into the family of God. So this can't mean there's an, an, another born again. What are we? Third class citizens in the family of God? Yeah, you're adopted, but you're not as good as this one over here. You've got you to gotta have a second and third adoption, and maybe even a fourth, and then we might consider you as equals. Of course not. That can't be what Paul is talking about. Well, what he's saying here is that for whatever purpose we've been put into this human body and this uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully made mechanism where we partner with God, we're going to keep fulfilling our role as an adopted son in the family of God until our life on this earth is over. And God says, okay, it's time for this body to be put where all flesh goes. And the spirit comes back to God and whatever you are in God 
you then are known as you're you you're known as you've known so paul this is really what he's saying this is you're fulfilling what you've really been adopted in the family for and you should keep doing that until your life on this earth is over and then you'll continue to do it in a heavenly body in heaven and then he speaks about how do we how do we know this ongoing measure of deliverance and soteria through hope and what is hope you come before hope is as we've said before is not faith's ugly cousin hope is not a wish and a prayer hope is not a strategy i've heard people say well hope is our strategy spiritually if you're really hoping in accordance with what the word means it is the seed of faith that god implants in you at his right hand through that dimension of god known as elohim the heart of god and then you work that through with him in his timing to bring it to birth and that kind of thing is i don't have a percentage of this i'm not god but a lot of times that birthing is a new thing that sets you in a transitional moment on a on the next pathway of continuance in God sometimes it's it's a birthing of of growth and you are promoted but you're still doing the same in the same field of operation but first fruits and birthings will do that. You see, this this is very interesting, and <clears throat> oh, it just births all kinds of questions. Not to use that term again. Not not doubtful questions, but it should stir your spirit, and the word can bring you into new places that God has ordained. So let's keep going now. Uh, in verse 26, likewise, the spirit, the wind, the breath helps those places that have been dormant, that have not fulfilled the life yet that they were created to fulfill. In us, in the places we're called to, there are whole stratagems of demonic forces spirits of infirmity that use this same word that are designed to block and to keep people from moving forward into the new and into a point of, of function and fulfillment so the spirit helps us with that for we don't know how we should prosukamai and that's the revelation that god gives us based upon our supplication as as we should but the Spirit, the Spirit makes intercession. The Spirit makes intercession. This is hyper entegango. And this entegango is, is, uh, is a word that is an intercessory term. It was used to describe how, Jesus, uh, how God prays, but it's more reactive. We've said in the past that it's kind of like a Kairos prayer. It's kind of like the stirring that Samson felt, and, and he 
lit upon something. Um, it, it's what's needed at the moment. It's what's, what's needed at the moment. Breakthrough. It's an assistance. And I love that. So this, the wind is praying in a hyper fashion for this. With what? Groanings. There's that word. Which cannot, which are sighs too deep for words. I, I cited Mark 7, 39. What Jesus was dealing with uh, the individual who was deaf and dumb. And, and it says that when Jesus came to this guy, he sighed. And he used this term. He used, he, he groaned in some way. And then he used the Aramaic term Ephratha, which means to open the door. He spoke to the door to be opened. Now, we weren't there, obviously. We don't know who this man was. We don't really know a lot about the scenario. I mean, you can read it in the scripture, um, but it, it doesn't give us a real-time, uh, I was there kind of a, uh, of a thing. Uh, look, look at what Jesus did. And again, verse 31 of, of Mark 7. He departed from the coast of Tyre and Sidon. He came into the midst of the sea of, unto the Sea of Galilee, through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis, the ten cities. And they brought unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseeched him to put his hand upon him. He took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. Now spit, we've talked about this, communicates your DNA. And it also speaks of digestion, but your DNA is there. There's a lot in this passage. He, looking up to heaven, sighed. This is our word, groaning, and said, Ephratha, Ephratha, which is an Aramaic being open, open, open the door. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. Now, we don't really know what all this is. Obviously, the only thing that I can hypothesize here is that when Jesus told them not to tell, it wasn't because he knew that if you tell somebody not to tell something, they just can't wait to tell it. That's Jesus doesn't play those kinds of games. Obviously, this was a beginning of some kind of a thing uh, that that he was going to that he was releasing, uh, which is why. He groaned in this way. Coming out of Tyre and Sidon and into the area of Decapolis. Um, he, Tyre and Sidon was famous for its demonic activity. Probably still is. And um, there, there was something that he told to be opened. He told the door. He, he spoke to the door to be opened. And he sighed. And I suggest that this was... And, and then he told them not to tell anybody. And the reason he did that was he was opening it spiritually, but 
Like I know right now, we thought that when God started visiting us in the way he was, undeniably, there were a lot of people here that thought that immediately there were going to be thousands of people lined up. They had visions of it, and those visions are accurate. We do have, I don't know how many thousands upon thousands of people around the world that have received this message and are aligned with us. I don't say that from a prideful standpoint, but I'm saying that those visions are playing out and will continue to play out. But we thought that immediately this was going to be poured out to everybody. And guess what? It wasn't. And and it probably was for a good reason because we weren't ready for that. Sometimes if there's a, a, a bum's rush for something, it destroys not only the development of that thing, but the whole reason it came and the way it came. So you, you, uh, you see a lot of factors here, but for Jesus to groan in this way and then to spit and put it on the tongue of this guy and to put his fingers in his ears, I mean, these were all initiating points. And whatever he was commanding to be open, for the door to be open, I could understand the door being open to, to, to deafness so that you could hear. I'm not really sure how a door being open, well, yeah, you're supposed to put a lock on your lips to guard yourself. Some people, you wish their mouth had a door on it. You could just slam it shut every now and then and then barricade it and then put a few things in front of it. But the point that he, the reason that I think it's very interesting is that he, he, he adds the element of spitting and then he, he groans in this way and he calls forth something to be open in Aramaic which spoke to the whole region. That was the common language of the reason, region. And um, I, I have a suspicion that this was a, a new thing in some ways that God was wanting to begin to reveal in Jesus' earthly ministry, in the timetable of God. And he was just cautioning people, let's not make this our identity. So don't go out and advertise it. Uh, it'll take care of itself. It, and it did, as it usually does. So, um, so the Spirit, back to Romans 8, makes this type of intercession, immediate intercession, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Sighs too deep for words. The Spirit is the one that's making these groanings. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the phronema of the Spirit. The phronema of the Spirit. That bastion of understanding that the Spirit is wanting to systematically release to us. Here it is in its noun form. Because he makes intercession, enticano, for the saints, for the saints, according to the will of God. What a glorious compilation of the scripture. Pneumonicos term upon pneumonicos term, the synergy of them together. You are, you are partnering with God as saints, as first fruits, and you are participating in these groanings 
from the Spirit, with the Spirit, with creation, to see what God wants to do. But it's all based, you're unified in this, you're, you're, you're recognizing the true battle between the carnal and the Spirit, you're, you're engaging in groanings and the mind of the Spirit, you are partnering as first fruits as saints, and you think about the way the enemy has attacked over the past couple of years against the church, against the saints, where instead of us being participants with the patience and consolation of the scripture, we exhibit immaturity and evacuating the place that we're called to stand and the duty we're called to stand and we go after doctrines of devils and other writings and other things that are not equal to scripture that was an enemy tactic and he's sweeping through the progressive church with that saying that the scriptures you can't trust them saying that they're incomplete saying that they're inaccurate hath god said just as old as the garden and is still the, the way the serpent moves in his own froneo. And then you, you have people that say, well, we don't need to be praying in the spirit anymore in tongues because the world doesn't understand that. I don't give a flip what the world understands or what they don't. I want them to come to the knowledge of the Lord, but I'm not going to jettison God's clearly established pathway of revelation and commune with him just because some woke guy down the street might get intimidated by it or say, oh, I don't understand that. <laughs> Since when do we do that in any other thing? Of course we don't. So the enemy has tried to attack this, and I have to believe that we are, creation is groaning. The Spirit is leading us into first fruits revelation. And we are a people that are uniquely positioned as saints. The Spirit of God is praying for us, for the saints. Do you realize that? Um, this is this is astounding. And the, the, the aspects of it are, are like uh, ripples from a meteor hitting water. I mean, the ripples of that water and the sonic boom of it just keep escalating. And the reason God's showing this and highlighting this right now is, first of all, because I think to a large degree, we've been doing this through obedience and now, because we've been faithful, God is showing this to us in the Scripture. It's how God is. He does that. But secondly, with any kind of revelatory uh, milestone such as this, it signifies the going forth into the new. And to me, it's kind of like you think about why God commanded Joshua when the Jordan was parted and Israel crossed over into the land of promise, why did they put those stones representing the tribes there? 
Well, because I think it was saying this is a transitional moment and you need to be reminded of who you are in God and you have you have graduated to some degree. Sadly, a lot of those people graduating into the promised land were D students. <laughs> Moses, their teacher, was abjectly frustrated, to say the least. And he, he, he disobeyed God and told him off, and he lost his job. So they're graduated all right, because God says, you know, I can't keep sending these people on 40-year cycle. They'd still be in a 40-year cycle moving all around. How, how would you even supply masks to those people out in the wilderness? I just don't know. Well, obviously, I'm just... I've delivered what I felt I was supposed to deliver. And I encourage you to be encouraged and to keep studying and keep praying and recognize that all of these things are functional realities for us. And it's what God has ordained for his church to be. So he that has an ear, let him hear what the wind or the breath is saying to the ecclesia. This is God's way. So let's form our understanding based upon the foundational works of Scripture, the line upon line of what God has revealed. Well, let's keep on letting the Spirit, through commune with God, reveal new things based upon the Word, verified by the Word, but Let's hear what the Spirit is saying. Heavenly Father, thanks for this. There's, there's really nothing like studying the Word of God and having it come alive in us. It just it causes us to be moved in the depths of who you made us to be. I speak blessing over all of the saints Every one of these dear ones who are your frontline intercessors in these days, encourage them, keep them well and strong, bless them, and let them not vary from the things, let them not be weary in well-doing what you've called them to be. Fill them with hope and expectancy. And let them turn these times where they might be isolated or restricted in some way in the natural into points of glorious commune with you. And let it be according to what you've ordained. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, everybody. God bless you all. And until... Uh, Till next time when we are together again, keep, keep pressing forward uh, on behalf of the mission our Heavenly Father has called us to. God bless you all. Goodbye.